0: All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's uh, let's have. I know everybody's already having some fun. I would like you to sh- share that fun with me. Oh, me shushing you guys? My goodness, I just got here. You can't, uh, no, that's right. I would like to be part of the fun. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, So today is the last Friday of women's Bible study until sometime in January. Now, if you ask me when in January, (laughs) I might not be able to tell you. Uh, Does uh, anybody anybody know usually when? uh, Again, I'm the new guy too. Yeah, right, right. You'll know. It'll be in life together. Uh, everybody's going to know about it. So I think for announcements, that is, uh, that's it. If you need some handouts, I put some in other tables. But there is, there are some extra ones right here. should say session 10 on top. So I think we can pray and we can go. Let's see. Let's pray and let's go to study, not go. not yet. This is the second Sunday in Advent week. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Luke 21. O Lord, Heavenly Father, who through your Son has revealed to us that heaven and earth shall pass away. We ask you keep us steadfast in your word and in true faith. Graciously guard us from all sin and preserve us amid all temptations so that our hearts may not be overcharged with the cares of this life. But at all times in watchfulness and prayer, we may await the return of your Son and joyfully cherish the expectation of our eternal salvation. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Oh man, we could do a Bible study just on that prayer. That's beautiful. Raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near, a.k.a. perk up. Right. When I read that, that's the word that comes to my mind. Perk up. So, are there some extras on this table? There are, right? Just in case folks need them in other uh, here and there. I'm going to, again, if uh, folks need some, we do have extras plenty in different tables. I just spread them. Got some in there? All right, all right, all right. Uh, today we're going to talk about two f- very big topics. Now, are they big topics in First Peter? I would venture to say, not really. Are they hot takes, as uh, as uh, we like to say? Hot takes is like something you say that gets people perked up. So these are hot takes in Peter. But Peter just mentions this once and then keeps moving, right? So what's one thing in Peter that's not a hot take, that he just keeps saying over and over? What's one theme in Peter? First Peter. You remember? Submission. Submission, right? That's not a hot take because he mentions that, and then he's going to mention it actually at the end of our, our reading today, of your Verse 22. So it's not a surprise when that comes up again. Okay, what's something else? Suffering from, doing good. Suffering from doing good, right? He doesn't mention it once, he doesn't mention it twice, he doesn't mention it three times. It keeps coming up. That's not a hot take, because he keeps talking about it. He actually goes into very particular details about that. Anything else? The center of preaching, the center of his preaching, is the center of anybody's preaching, as a matter of fact. Right, right. He'll, we'll, we'll hear it again today. When did we he hear about Christ already? A couple of times. Do You remember? I mean, he keeps talking about Christ the whole time. It's all about Christ. But specifically about Christ, right from the get-go, right? Chapter one, bah, there's Christ right there. And then, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jonas.
1: He's our hope.
0: He's our hope. He talks about hope, joy, but uh, what's the interesting that interesting section that he talks about Christ? Who does he compare Christ to? Would you say, oh, stone? Of course, exactly. But the one that we talked about a few weeks ago, servants, servant, slaves, right? So again, that's not really a hot take because he just keeps talking about Christ. Christ suffered for you, the righteous, for the unrighteous. So again, I just want to say this. I mean those are themes in first peter those are big things in first peter today he says a couple of things that people have grasped onto and try to explain and try to iron out one of them specifically that doesn't really come back ever in first peter or come back sometimes even in the Gospels or the other epistles. But because Peter drops this word, this phrase, through the Holy Spirit, people are like, oh, this sounds really different from anything that he's, or new or interesting than anything he said before. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're gonna see what that is, and there's some pictures. Put some pictures on the handouts. This is gonna be fun. So, uh, look at the first phrases that I put. Where's that? Where are those from? Trick question, but not a trick question. The creed. Now, if you examine them too closely, you would say the creeds with the uh, because one phrase there. Uh, is only found in one creed, or one idea here is only found in one of the creeds, and not both the apostles and the Nicene. Which one is that? You guys remember? Again, this is not the entire creed, clearly. Uh Uh-uh. Right. He descended into hell. Is only in one of the creeds, not both of them. And uh, I'm not making that a big deal, but I put that there because that's part of what we're going to talk about today. So, from 18 to 22, Peter talks about those points there in, in, from our creeds. He talks about Christ dying, being buried. He talks about Christ descending into hell. The third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, is at the right hand of the Father, And I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. All of those things can be found in Peter 3, 18 through 22. So let us jump into the text and see what uh, what the text actually says um, for us today. All right, here we go. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God and put to death, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through. The resurrection of Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Verse 18. So in the handout I have for today, I just have a lot of ideas and quotes from church fathers or other people that have said things about this text. They're not definitive. This text is discussed quite a bit. Still today. What does it mean? So that's why I want to talk about. I don't want to... I don't want to leave here today by saying, today we found the answer to the, verse 19, period. You know, Holy Spirit spoke to us. But there are interpretations. And so what I've given you are some interpretations of that. So let's look at, let's look at it. Verse 18. This is not Peter's first time talking about Christ's death, resurrection. Again, it is a theme. Uh, he just keeps talking about it. He keeps proclaiming the mystery. Now, one thing that he says, that Christ died once for all. A one time, event. This is interesting because we can't grasp it. We can't grasp that the lives of billions of people and the trillions of sins committed by those billions and billions of people were washed away by a single event. It's mind-blowing to be like, well, of course, it's the crucifixion of the Son of God. Of course it's going to do that. But, you know, it wasn't, not to make light of the situation, but it was a guy dying like a criminal. I mean, people were looking up there and, like, mocking this man, you know, like, laughing at him, like, ha, 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 like, if you're so good, bring yourself down from the cross, and yet, the once for all, that's when it starts to be like, oh man, yeah, one time, that one event, earth shattering, right? This thing that was happened to a lot of people, a lot of evil people got this punishment. And that right there, once for all, being put to death, right, to the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Made alive in the Spirit, by the Spirit, made alive to us in the Holy Spirit. These are also questions that commentaries like to discuss. Is Jesus being put alive in the Spirit? Meaning, he Is now spirit? Is Jesus being put alive in the spirit? Now he's present in his Holy Spirit. Is Jesus being put alive by the spirit? The preposition by, meaning the Holy Spirit resurrected him. So there's a lot of questions here, but being put to death in or by, by the flesh, could mean that it was done by humans. He was put to death by the flesh. Not his flesh being put to death, although it's true, but some have interpreted it as we, mankind, have put flesh, have put this man to death. And if raised by the Spirit, could mean, well, we killed him. But somebody much more powerful than us God's Spirit raised him to new life. There's that interpretation too, that the flesh of man has put Jesus to death, but we cannot put him to death because God has made him alive. I think that's an interesting. Again, it's just these ideas, these interpretations that are faithful, but it's this it's this part of Peter that is the hardest, it's one of the hardest. Texts of the New Testament to interpret, hands down, like by many pastors, theologians, exegetes, scholars. Um, So these are things that they think about. Unbelieving humanity killed him, but he had a physical resurrection by God's Spirit. The righteous for the unrighteous, Jesus is the righteous and this is very interesting remember last time we said you know sometimes i wish this was a 16 hour class where we could just keep talking about it and you remember other themes from like 20 minutes ago so this is very interesting because he says the righteous for the unrighteous on verse 18 in verse 18 but if you notice and you turn back to verse 12 he calls us righteous. What's the verse? Uh, what's verse twelve? What does he say?
1: The, the,
0: the, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Is he talking about the eyes of the Lord are on Jesus? Is that what the psalmist is saying? Could it be what the psalmist is saying? Maybe. But if you look at that psalm, it's talking about us, humans. God's creation. So he is saying the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And a few verses later, he's saying the righteous died for the unrighteous. He's not equating us to Jesus, but he's now saying, do you know the righteousness that he had? It's yours. And I'm even going to use the same word that I'm using for him, for you. You know, this is like, it's, it's really, it's, it's a real thing. yours. You are righteous, even though you are unrighteous. So great was his passion that however often human beings may sin, the act of suffering, that act of suffering, is sufficient to take away all our transgressions. Oikomenius from the 900s, I believe. Yeah. Any uh, anything that comes to mind in that uh, in verse eighteen before we move on to nineteen? Yeah. Again, this should not be new. This should not be new, right? Paul talks this way, right? He's made you dikaios righteous, right? The righteous talk is something that we've heard before, very familiar to us. So, verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they did not, they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah and stopped there. What does it mean that? He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Does the word hell appear anywhere here, or Hades? Right? No. The word for prison is the word for prison that is used here um, on verse nineteen. Prison, much of uh, much like where John the Baptist was in. Or Peter himself, or Silas and Paul, right? Prison. So, what could it mean? What have you heard about this verse? Let's start there. What have you heard about what this actually means? What are some interpretations? We, right? We're supposed to, it's supposed to be one of those that we say in the creed, right? It's supposed to be a same same. He descended into hell. Well, hey, this talks about hell, but in First Peter it doesn't say hell. It talks about proclaim to the spirits in prison who formerly did not obey. So uh, what, do, what's, what, do we, what do we do with this? What do we do with this verse? Janice, figure it out for us.
1: One thought was that this was giving them a second chance, but it doesn't necessarily
0: The text does not say that. Okay, I know we all know, but I want to hear it from you. Who is they? Give them a second chance. Those who were in whatever this person is. Right, okay. That's a good way to avoid the question. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) Well, (laughs) Well, just look at the text, Pastor. Yeah, right, 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 right. No. I that's I didn't wanna push any more as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. Uh Marilyn? Well
1: aren't we in prison when we're bound up by our sins? Oh
0: that's a prison, all of its own. Okay. You can't
1: see Jesus.
0: Okay. Huh. Or non-believers. Non-believers. Ooh, that's an M. Yeah. Um, and I may be cheating, but Yeah. ...the study bible Uh-huh. Is it a Lutheran study Bible? Yes, it is. Okay, so you know it's the final word.
1: It says that the fallen angels...
0: Yes, so that's one that I ran into too. Yeah, yeah. That, mm-hmm. that
1: between his death and resurrection, went to the prison where fallen angels are incarcerated... And there are preached to the angels, who are said to have left their proper state and married human women during Noah's time.
0: Right. So we have that there in Noah, right? I mean, in the, in the, in the text around there, that there's funny business going on between angelic beings. Yeah. Are said to have been angels, as they are angel. Yeah. Yeah. T-
1: she preached to these evil angels were probably a declaration to victory.
0: Res for short, resurrection. Between death and resurrection. So that you're the first one to, or somebody, I don't know if it was Marilyn you who just said the between death and resurrection, right? So f- does the text say that it was between the death and resurrection, right? The text also doesn't say that. Because this isn't a gospel, like this is not go- How do I word this? This isn't a gospel, right? This is a letter. What's the difference between a letter and a gospel? Long story short. Well, I don't want to go there. Still, the word of God, right? But just, just like looking, just looking at it, just looking at it. What's the difference between the gospel and and a letter? Just a basic difference. Don't think too hard. Wrote
1: this to specific
0: people. Right. So it's a letter, right? It's uh, what doesn't it do that the gospels do? No. Still teaches. Goes to
1: specific people. No. The
0: story of Jesus' life. Story. There you go. Right, So this is not chrono, like, we don't know here. This happened, and this happened, and this happened. That's where you get in the Gospels, right? He gets arrested, then he does this, then the, 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 Like, it's very chronological, right? Here, not so much, right? It's sort of like, well, okay, when did this happen? Did it happen? So this is one I've heard very much, like, all the time, right? And I'm not saying it's wrong, and I'm not saying it's, right? I'm just saying this is the popular one, is that he went between the time that he was put to death, between the time that he was resurrected, he went down there. It makes sense. Why not? Jesus can do anything. So fallen angels, right, uh, is one uh, popular uh, because he says, proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Right? So this idea, and there was an icon. I printed two. Uh, None of the two that I printed is this one that I'm going to talk about. There is an icon of, I don't know if it's Jesus or it's a angel receiving the order from Jesus to go with him, and he's stepping on a, a very dark figure of an angel, and his wings are all bound up, and he's all bound up, and the other angel's sort of like untying him, right? So yeah, that icon, if you look at that one, it's going to interpret it as fallen angels, right? Um, But there are other ones who don't interpret it that way. So let's keep moving. Cyril of Alexandria. Christ came in the flesh to preach to those who were in flesh, physical human beings, you and I. But Christ also went down in his soul, spirit, to preach to those who were disembodied. Because where are their bodies? In the ground, in the grave right? So how is Cyril understanding the word spirit? Is he understanding it as fallen angels? No, right? He's saying, no, these are spirits. These are actual people because their bodies aren't there, because they're in the ground. Preach to those who are disembodied. Those To those in chains, he said, come out. To those in darkness, he said, have light. Now this is interesting, and again, this is just one guy, but those who committed idolatry, outrageous ungodliness, and who and those binded by fleshly lusts did not have the power to see this Jesus and were not delivered. So Cyril's understanding is that Jesus shows up to hell. He breaks down the door. And if you were good enough, come on over. I'll take you up to heaven along with the thief on the cross. Right, uh, but if you were evil, idolatrous, as it says, <coughs> given to lust, then your sin was so great that just like as it was in, on Earth, those sins made you blind and deaf to Jesus. Jody. But Jesus forgave everyone. But Jesus forgave her. But Jesus would have. That's right. So this is interesting, right? So again, I'm just giving you these thoughts. This is not the final word. Cyril of Jerusalem is not, he's a big guy. I mean, Cyril of Alexandria, we also have a Cyril of Jerusalem. Cyril of Alexandria is not the final word. But again, I'm just giving you these uh, to think about.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I was just wondering the first century Jews, what was their belief about life after death? Because it was Sheol in the Old Testament. Oh yeah, what the king of Babylon down there, and all these people, and Jeremiah, and I mean, some, Jeremiah obviously was not one of those who is hugely um,
0: right.
1: sinful or anything. Yeah. Um, you know, it just, it, it just wonder. I mean, it had the idea of where people were in the after death changed right. at the time of um, Peter.
0: Yeah, um, you know, we hear we can go back to Jesus and we hear Jesus talking about this a lot, right? There's those who like to say, well, Jesus spoke more about hell than he spoke about whatever. So there was, I mean, in his own preaching, right, there was the, the, the fact of, well, there, was, there is a place where there's going to be crying and gnashing of teeth and weeping. So the idea was there. I mean, it was in his own preaching. Was he speaking differently than other teachers were, right? Was he speaking differently than scribes and Pharisees when he said that? I guess that's your question. The first century's understanding of prison is it the same as uh, I the, can't, I can't say just Old Testament because the Old Testament is thousands of years. But is it the same as the Davidic Sheol, right? Like you said. Um, or had it changed? I don't know. But that's a very good question. What is so when they hear this, what are they hearing, right? What are the first listeners hearing? Everything's fine until then, right? Submission and Jesus Christ and righteous for unrighteousness. We're all good. And then he hits us with, <gasps> wait a minute. What? <sighs> yes, please, Colonel.
1: Christ
0: died for Paul. but what are those that are already dead? Right, how about those that are already dead? Does this
1: answer that question?
0: Well, let's look. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Hold that question, because that's, I think, the next thing we're going to talk about. And if it's not, we're going to come to it very soon. Clement of Alexandria says they did not see his form, meaning his physical body, but they heard the sound of his voice. Why would he have said that? Why would this guy have said that they didn't see his form, but they heard his voice? He was a spirit, right? So that's another interpretation. He did not go down physically. His body was still on the tomb, but his spirit went down. So they heard him, but did not see him. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. It
1: means that he, it was between death and
0: Right, so that's another uh, that's another one that fits there. Not everyone, service of Antioch, not everyone who was in the lower regions. Here we get another uh, interest. So, like lower regions, right? Is that hell? Is that something else? Responded to Christ when he went there, but only those who believed in Him. Hmm. Are those who believed in him, those who believed in him, but died, in his interpretation, with too many sins? Right? So, well, I believe in Jesus, but my sins are greater than my belief. I'm not saying that's a biblical teaching. I'm saying in his interpretation. So he went down and gave those guys a second chance. Is that what this guy is saying? Is that what service is saying? Preaching to those who did not know. Okay, so this is another, uh, I feel like I'm screaming, I'm sorry. This is another interpretation of the one that I grew up with. Is this this one right here. Or, not that I grew up with, but I've heard before. That Christ went to preach to those who did not know, who, who did not know. Sorry, forget everything I said about the not, I mixed this one up with the other one. This is another interpretation, not the one I've heard before or grew up with. That he went to preach to those who never knew of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Since they never heard about this God. So he went to preach to those who died. And those, those who believed went to heaven with him. See what I'm saying? Like it's the whole question of, well, if somebody never heard about Jesus, then are they going to hell? All right. Some folks say, well, this answers that question because there are a bunch who never heard about Abraham or the faith of Isaac or the faith of Jacob or the faith of Sarah or the faith of... So Jesus went down to make sure they did. Hey, here I am. Who's believing today? And, uh, and he took them. So that's another interpretation. And then let's, uh, let's turn the page... Uh, So then I get to Luther. This is a strange text. (laughs) And certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still do not know for sure what the Apostle means. I'm going to use that line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. I mean, I'm afraid of guys who... Know everything in Revelation, right? Oh, the, stay, stay away from those guys. You know, I, they haven't figured out. It's like the. In another time, long time ago, far far away, somebody said to me, "Hey, you know the grasshoppers in Revelation? Those are helicopters, Black Hawks. So when you see a bunch of them in the sky, that's when you." Okay, maybe, but like, how do you, know? like who told you, you know, who died and made you king kind of thing. So it's that idea of like somebody who maybe knows too much or claims to know too much of things that can we easily talk about suffering or who Christ is just from first Peter. No problem. He talks about it and talks about it and talk, even like daily life, what to do, what not to do. So, yeah, he gives us plenty of ammo. But then this verse, well, he mentions it once. Do we have enough as the church to say this is exactly what it means? Do we have enough corroborating evidence? Right? So, others say, and this is a more, what's the word? Unmystic, not mystic is not the word, but. This is the interpretation of somebody who doesn't want to venture. This last uh, one here, right under the Luther quote. This is somebody who doesn't want to venture too far. When this person, this is another one I read, said he descended into hell, or he went to proclaim, it just means he really, really, really died. That's all it means. He descended. When we say he descended into hell in the creed, all we're saying, according to this person, is... This guy actually stopped breathing and his body became cold and stiff. That's what we're saying about Jesus and nothing more. Again, I don't sign on to this, but this is a person who's trying to be faithful to the scriptures, to Christ, believes that Christ physically was raised, but in order to physically be raised, he descended to hell means he physically, physically, physically died. So that's another interpretation, right? But then it leaves out, well, what about this proclamation? What does this mean? One last interpretation is a very... And then I'll go to the the texts I put here because I think it's a really good segue. The other one is, this is the one I grew up with, and I didn't write it down. I don't know why. Jesus went into hell to mock the devil and to mock the evil spirits and say you tried to kill me and here I am right sort of like la la la, la <laughs> kind of thing you tried to squash me tried to kill me yet here I am triumphant and victorious over you great Cool. Because, right, it can be faithful to the text in the sense that the word that is used for proclaim here, that is verse 19. I have the Greek here in front of me. Is the same word that is to preach. The word for proclaim and preach. Right, so... You can proclaim something, if you divide those two meanings, they can be very different. Because in a proclamation, you're, say, you're just stating a fact, right? I'm proclaiming something. But if you take it to be preaching something, and the word in Greek can mean both, then he's expecting a response, right? I'm preaching to you, now what's your response? From your heart, from the Spirit. Has the Spirit touched you? So there's a there could be a different interpretation between proclaim and preach. If you go with the last interpretation I just gave you, you have to go to proclaim. He proclaimed to the spirits in prison that he's risen from the dead. Right? The old Georgian chant, the country of Georgia. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. And upon those in the tomb, restoring life. So it's this idea of proclaiming, here I am. Now my segue. What is in Jesus' nature or in Scripture regarding God and those in prison? Leah, you understood that question? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, you raised your hand. Like,
1: the thing is, like, I'm thinking what are, like, the um, pre-kind of, I don't know, the prophecy about this. Like, I keep on thinking about Ezekiel 37, the dry bones. But, like, the language, it just kept on coming, like, the language that he's talking about, like, the um, made alive by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Like, it uses the same... Language like I feel like the people maybe who are reading this letter might be thinking about, he says um, This is what the sovereign Lord says oh my people I'm going to open up your grave and bring you up from them I will bring you back to land of Israel um, I will put the spirit I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your land uh-huh. uh, And then you will know that I am Lord and I have spoken and I have done it. So there's a little bit of um, proclamation and preaching
0: there. Hmm. Yeah, that is true. Huh.
1: But it's like the same language. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar to that. Huh. And it's talking about like you have to say the words to the bones.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that touching them? It's the Lord is saying, say these things to them and the word is what's going to <laughs> right. bring these bones to life. Yeah. And like what it's emphasizing is like the word That's is true. Word.
0: Yeah. Huh, yeah, that's good. I didn't think of that. How about texts that have the word prison specifically? Not the word, but the idea of being in chains, of being imprisoned. What does Jesus do? He releases them. So I have a few texts here, starting with Isaiah 61. We know that. We heard it, I think, the other day. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus speaks those words in Luke. Guess what? I'm the guy. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim, proclaim, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. So what does Jesus want to do with those who are in prison? Free him. Free him. Exactly. So when I talk about what is Jesus' nature when it comes to those who are bound up in their sins, as we talked about before, can't move? Yes, please. Isn't all of this based on mercy? Ooh, isn't all this based on mercy? Jesus is a merciful guy. Right?
1: Like loosing the bonds.
0: Loosing the, the bonds.
1: Like the apostolic, right? We want right. To uh-huh. we got to have a loose. Uh-huh. So this, is like, this is God's authority.
0: That can right. Just, like, yeah. <sighs> now here are two more texts of some guys who we know uh, know well and we really like them. Acts 12. Now when Herod was about to bring Peter out on that very night, he was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Not one chain, two chains. And the sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So you got a guy that's bound, you got two soldiers, and you got somebody guarding the door. And behold... Now there's a Christmas story and behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. <gasps> it is the Christmas story. Why is it the Christmas story? Because a light. The light, the angel, so that, that can only mean one thing. you have light and you have angel, it could only mean that. who's with you?. And he wakes him up. He strikes Peter on the side. Heavy sleeper. (laughs) And he says, get up quickly. And what happened to the chains? You fell. This is Jesus' nature. He loves setting people free. Now that's not it. Four chapters later, at midnight our friends Paul and Silas were in prison and praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and the bonds were loosed, unfastened. Now, of course, the story continues. We know the. Kind of a harrowing story there, right? The guy wants to kill himself. He's like, oh, no, these guys are all going to run out. <laughs> That's, but we don't have to talk about that one. Yes?
1: Oh, I just had a thought on the first one. Um, he struck Peter to wake him up. To me, that says something about Peter. Here he is, all bound
0: up. Uh-huh.
1: Knowing that um, dear old Harold probably got going to chop his head off or something. Right. And he's asleep.
0: And he's asleep. Yeah.
1: And I think it's not because he's exhausted.
0: Right. Uh, This reminds me of... Jesus, don't you see that? Like you're about to die on this boat with everybody else and you're over there sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Peter, That's very good. I never made that connection. Yeah, two guys next to him. He's in chains. He doesn't know if, right, his head's going to be on his body or not by the morning. Can
1: you imagine asleep? Bound change, but
0: he can't move. Yeah. Right. That's fine. Yeah. And you're so asleep that the, somebody needs to kick you away. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's good. So here's what I'm saying. Now let's look at, uh, let's look at the, uh, let me say something before we look at the pictures. Jesus loves setting people free. If you read this text with that fancy word, hermeneutic, with those glasses, they're like, he's setting some people free. Can we say more? I don't think so. Who is he setting free? Why are they in prison? We have to read this text and smile and say this is good news. The good news that was given to me when He set me free is what's going on here. I don't know where. I don't know why. Well, we do know why because He's merciful. But that's all I can say. I'm not going to venture... Too far. All this should make us do is smile and say, huh. Jesus is doing what he likes to do. Jesus is doing his favorite thing. And it's setting people free.
1: Yeah, like Maryland's interpretation of it, like all sinner was like the sin binding us. Sin binding. And this yeah. idea too of like I like
0: where he's writing
1: in verse 18 that he died for our sins to bring us to God. It's kind of this idea of mercy, too, like we are not having to chase God. Like, He is there trying to bring us closer. Uh, sin is what's binding us, but it's like He's trying to unbind us to bring us closer. So, right. So sometimes you can think of, like, a vegetable battery, uh, you
0: know. Right. like, don't do yeah. these
1: things, don't do these things. If you want to get closer, you've got to do all these things. But He's actually trying harder to bring us
0: closer. Yeah. Right. Like, That's true. Yes. Always. I love that final phrase. Yeah. He's always trying harder to bring us to Him than we are to come close to him. Always true. If there's a phrase that's always true. I want to look at the pictures before we get into baptism and in Noah. The first picture, so I put two pictures of that text. Right? The first one, and then the first one on the second, well, the one that's by itself, and then the first one on the second page. What do you see uh, on, that, uh, on that second, on that first picture? What are things you see in that picture? This is how this person interpreted it. I, I didn't write the name. I'll bring that.
1: Jesus is teaching about his death.
0: Oh right! So he's pointing to his death, and the people are praying or listening, at least. What can you tell me about the people? They're naked. Okay, they're naked. Everybody's naked, except the angels. Okay, so if somebody has a crown, they are a angel. No. Saint. No. Who wears a crown? Would you guys not, did you, were you guys not up at 3 a.m. a few months ago and watch the coronation of, uh, of Charles, Charles Trey? No, yeah, there, he's a king, right? That's interesting. Why is there a king there? But
1: there's more people with crowns.
0: There are more people with crowns. That's right. What
1: are the people up in the air?
0: And then there are angels, right, singing. They have crowns. Well, they have halos. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's only one person. They all look the same okay. Way. Let me give you a clue. First, I'll ask, and if you're uh, smart and quick, you'll get the answer fairly fast. But let me ask you: Why will there be a king there? Is an king? He's an earthly oh, king. There's the king. Yeah. Yeah. There, there it? is a king. Yeah. There is a king. He's an earthly king. Yes. He's an earthly king. But why? Yeah. So why is he? Okay, fine. I'll give. Uh, maybe he condemned Jesus. Yes, Julie? I say
1: these are the people that he's setting free that
0: Okay, yes. First of all, these are the people that he's setting free. But who exactly are these people? And I'll tell you these are the Old Testament people. The king is King David. The lady right there with the belly, that's the queen of Sheba. The old man in front, that's Adam. Why are they there?
1: would all be there.
0: They would all be there, but what's the most important thing in that picture? Christ on the cross. Exactly. Did they get to see Christ on the cross or hear about Christ on the cross while they were alive? No. So Jesus is going down there being like, look. Right? So that's one interpretation. That's an interpretation. It's cool. Yes? Is this like an interpretation? Garden, and like there's a tree which, by, by the cross and this is like he has, like there's stuff on the ground.
1: Yeah. Like, he's trying to like take
0: them back to like Eden. Eden. That's right. So that's one interpretation, my friends. and uh, it's funny, I've never really seen a picture of Jesus pulling a John the Baptist. What is Jesus doing? That's like a John the Baptist. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, Rachel got it. This is the Jesus doing the John the Baptist right here. Because what's John the Baptist doing when he does this? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is doing it to himself. Right? He's like, hey, that guy over there, that's me. So that's very, very interesting. Now let's look at the second one. Second one is a completely different artistic style. What does Jesus have on his hand? Uh, in his hand, a flag. a flag. and that flag is the universal symbol of Christian symbol of what? You see it in a lot of German painters too, and uh, that uh, around the Reformation, the flag, the white flag with the red cross in the middle is just meaning what? You guys remember? What is Jesus about to do? Between so, if this event happens here. Right, between. What is he about to do then? Right, resurrect, I heard. Yeah, so that's the, it's the symbol of victory of the resurrection, that white flag with the red. You'll see it in other paintings too. Again, uh, the chronics, uh, the guys who painted Luther and the Lutheran Reformation and stuff like that, they often have uh, Jesus holding this flag of uh, victory. So that's the, right, resurrection. So what's, um... Tell me things about that painting. There's some really cool details.
1: There's nails on the bridge.
0: Oh, it's not a bridge, Nancy. Well, I
1: got one thing
0: right. You got the nails, but what is it? For him to go in, what does he need to do? Kick the door open. Yeah. And he squashed a devil trying to keep him from coming in. Right? He's... And then there's a the devil on the left corner looking at him coming in. He's like, I better get out of here. He just squashed my buddy. But what do you notice about the people that Jesus is extending his hand to? They all have halos and they're dressed in white. Yeah. There's one guy who's not dressed. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one guy who... uh, who I think this interpretation is very close to the one that we just saw before. It's not saying that these people are patriarchs and prophets and matriarchs, but it is saying that these people died believing, but they died without Christ, meaning without Christ's death, knowing about Christ's death. So Christ is going down there to set them free, knocking down the door of hell, knocking it off its hinges. I like that. Oh, there's an there's a, there's a ugly-looking guy all the way on the top left with wings and holding something. That's ugly. So this text should be good news for us. Is this text talking about us? Whatever you have in your mind that's even close to that, wipe it away. This text is not about us. This text is about something that happened. This text is not about St. John Lutheran Church. This text is not saying, hey, whatever your heart is telling you to do, all that evil stuff, go out there and do it. Because when Jesus comes back, He's gonna go down there and pick you out of hell anyway and gonna bring you to heaven. Right? Somebody could interpret it that way, of saying, doesn't matter what you do, because this text says that Jesus is gonna go down to hell and get everybody. Well, nobody in this room is thinking that way. But if you think if your mind goes out of control, you might think like that. Janice?
1: The comment in the Lutheran study by the pretty much follows what Luther said. Huh? It said Says, we will save our questions about how this happened until the other world. Then not only this mystery, but others will be revealed that we simply believe here and cannot grasp with our blind reason. Right. That's kind of what. Luther said.
0: Did we just waste an hour here? uh, (laughs) I feel like I could have just gone home. Janice could have just... Yeah, it's very true, right? We went through a thinking exercise, a Christian thinking exercise today that we left saying, isn't it beautiful that Jesus sets people free? Who those people are when that was where that was how did he do it hey we don't know that And does he continue to do
1: it
0: he continues to do it absolutely i would not say in this sense right this in this particular sense he went to prison to set spirits free i don't know what that means i know that he sets people free i knew that i was bound in my sin he came to me and i'm loosed But I can't quite say exactly what he went into prison and set the spirits free means. Exactly. I can't paint a picture like these guys did and say this is the final word. I am saying that what we read in verse 19 happened. And he does that today in a different way. He gives you a little bit of his body. He gives you his blood. He rubs his word in your ear. He, uh, we didn't get to it, but he uh, splashes some water on some people and say, hey, you're mine. So he does that, right? Exactly, so he sets you free in those ways that we know and there are, there's corroborating evidence here that that's how he does it. But the other one, it's this one text, and we say, hmm, I'm not too sure. So we had a couple of hands.
1: I was just gonna say, when I say the creed and he descended into hell, I wanna say for me right after that.
0: Hmm, yeah, he descended he into him. There's
1: so I didn't have to go.
0: Yeah, we were buried in baptism. in baptism with him, and then we were raised with him, raised with him, raised with him, raised with him the most important part. Yeah. Julie? I mean, this is opening up a paragraph, kind of so
1: you don't have to answer, but like, just this, the, the next verse that talks about like the Noah and the ark like this is like baptism
0: was t- yeah baptism. All right what mean for people who were you know before baptism All right baptism I mean there was cleansing and there was- yeah. yeah 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 so how how does any of this text have to do because we are going to talk about, the next part is baptism right baptism now saves you is the next section But these people that uh, if we go with this idea of it's the people who were around before Jesus and maybe before John the Baptist and so on and so forth, they were not baptized. So how does baptism play into these people who were bound? There's no baptism in the whole Testament in the way that Jesus instituted baptism. So does baptism have anything to do with this since he talks about, well, baptism now saves you. Right, he says that. Yeah, that's a very good question. Any, uh, any other uh, comments? Donna, jump do some... in. Oh. That's right. Well, hey, you're jumping ahead. I was
1: just going to say the same thing that he saved Noah through, through the water. Right. <laughs> just like
0: Yeah. Saved Noah through the water. I typed it. Oh, I don't want to. Yeah, we're past time. I typed in on Google. Baptist, uh, Noah's Ark baptism icon, just for fun. So gonna, I didn't get anything, so maybe I'll have to. <laughs> so the closest I found was like this picture. You can see it later uh, of a boat, and it's supposed to be the church. You have Jesus, and you have the apostles, and you have, uh, you have, uh, you have his mom, and you have other people. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, we'll talk about that next time. We'll talk about baptism next year. I'm in the mood to pray a um, Christmas prayer, even though we're not at Christmas, but we're not meeting until after Christmas, but I'm still going gonna, still gonna to do it. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. We pray you, O Lord, to purify our hearts that they may be worthy to become your dwelling place let us never fail to find room for you, but come and abide with us so that we may also abide in you, who at this time was born into the world for us. And you live and reign, King of kings and Lord of lords, now and forever. Amen. All right. I'll see you guys in a bunch of weeks. I'll miss you come to church so i uh so i see you at church